The title for today's message is Consensus or Conviction. Consensus or Conviction. I do find it funny, I actually prepared this message before everything. I mean, we knew coronavirus was a thing last week, uh, but it was kind of a lot more um, light uh, kind of view towards it, and then everything kind of cranked up the last, I'd say, 72 hours or so. And I really believe we'd just been marching through the book of Ephesians, and uh, we ended last week at verse 6, and I just couldn't get over verses 7 through 16, prepared it, and I really believe God gave us this word for this season in this moment. Um, God's word is always true, amen, and always benefit in every, uh, beneficial in every season. I'd love to set up the context for today's passage uh, by actually looking at verses 7 through 11. Uh, Verses 14 through 16 that we just read out loud, I think, is the perfect picture of what um, God is calling us to be in this time. Uh, Not like children tossed to and fro, uh, not shaking, but stable, loving each other, growing up into maturity that is in Christ. There is no greater time, and I believe it is God alone who gives us that ability, and we have no greater opportunity than now. Let's look at verse 7 again, just to lay some context. It says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. I think these verses, let me explain them real quick, and then we'll go into the meat of the message. Sound good? Verse 7, it talks about how Christ is the one who has given us grace uh, each to us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, what it's saying here is every single one of us, there's, there's actually three types of grace in the Bible. Okay, the first one is common grace. Common grace is gifts that God gives to all mankind. Even if you're not a believer, the fact that we can have family and enjoy family, enjoy things like the movies, enjoy good weather, most times enjoy good health. These are things common grace. God just gives, none of us deserve it, right? But God just gives us grace. And that's not actually the grace that's referring to in this passage. The other kind of grace that most of us talk about is called, you can write this down, saving grace. So one is common grace. The next thing is saving grace. Saving grace is the actual gift of eternal life that we believe we obtain when we put our faith and trust in Jesus alone. Amen. That is saving grace. And that's the one that we like to sing about a lot. But this third kind of grace is actually the one referenced here in chapter four. This is called serving grace. It's unique ways that you specifically are able to serve those around you. How great is it? In the midst of all of this chaos, we know the church needs to step up and serve. And we can even from this passage now just know God has uniquely wired and gifted each one of us with a specific grace for this moment and in this time. That'll preach right there, but I got to keep going. Verse 8 through 10, some of y'all are like, what is happening here? It references descending and ascending. Some people are like, what is this saying? This is essentially just, again, this isn't part of the message, just setting up context. Descended actually references the incarnation of Christ. So when God, uh, Jesus has always been, and he came down from heaven to earth to save us, that is him descending. Some translate it as they think it's actually referencing to hell, that Jesus went to hell. Um, We do see in 1 Peter 3, 19, there is inklings towards that. It's kind of one of those weird things. Um, People are a little bit confused on what that means. We do believe in Jesus on the cross. He said it is finished, so it was done. But some people believe he just went down to hell and said, boom, and then went back up, okay? And so that's likely what what went on. Uh, But descended, we really do believe this is actually referencing to Christ actually coming down to earth. Ascended references his resurrection and his ascension. 
And him giving gifts actually references the Holy Spirit. Again, this is just context. Why is all this important? It shows that we serve a victorious God. Paul is telling the church in Ephesus, it is time to serve. It is time for the church to be the church. In the midst of chaos, we are the ones that bring stability to the world. And it's funny because the Bible makes a whole lot more sense when things like plagues are happening because that kind of stuff is what they dealt with all the time. They're always wondering, is, what is tomorrow going to bring? Can we live past the age of 40? And today we're shocked because we're actually experiencing things that honestly humanity has experienced for a long time. But I think Paul here is referencing this, what Jesus did by ascending and descending to show us we can trust his power and we can trust his promises. Verse 11 is fascinating. Again, I want to kind of move quickly through this, but he says he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. In other words, Jesus has given the grace for leaders to lead. He's saying to the prophets, those who speak truth, be prophetic in this time. So to the teachers, in this time, teach. To the pastors, those who are shepherding, caring for those who are ill, caring for those who are terrified, be that pastor. So Paul, we have to see here, is, is really speaking into a moment of chaos And he's saying, hey, leaders, it's actually time that you lead. And I would love for us to apply. Obviously, this is according to the context of the local church. And so leaders, and I believe there's many more leaders than just me and Pastor Caleb in this room. It's not just a title. It's a gifting. Many of us have giftings to help lead different aspects of our church. But I would love for us as we read this to also realize that God has given you grace to lead your family in this time to lead the organization that you're part of in this time. And I really do believe that this is a good word for us. These truths should cause us to lead and live differently. And you can either lead by consensus or you can lead by conviction. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would be in us and among us today. God, I do believe in your word. It says that you are already present. God, I pray that we would have the eyes to see and the ears to hear what you are already doing. God, may we be a people of faith and not fear. A people who are not paralyzed, but we are praying. May we be worshiping instead of worrying. God, give us your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, amen, amen. amen. Here's the question I want us to pose. When our community faces affliction, do we lead by consensus or do we lead by conviction? In 1962, October of 1962, John F. Kennedy gathered with his brother Bobby, a chief of staff and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to make sense of a telex they receive from, I, forgive me if I botched this, I wasn't alive back then, y'all, as you could tell, Nikita Khrushchev of Russia. So if you knew what was happening during this time, this was day 13 of the Cuban Missile Crisis. The standoff was between U.S. US and Russia. Many feared the world was coming to an end, just how many are fearing that today. Two weeks earlier, it's actually fascinating, even in the 1960s, they had spy planes that took photos of Russia building nuclear missile silos in Cuba. So they, they, they were able to see thousands of feet from the air, these incredible cameras, and it was proof that they were setting up a nuclear warfare. The East Coast, and especially Washington, D.C., was under threat. 
Again, this was day 13. It was likely the president and his chief of staff and the rest of the group were not getting much sleep. But that night on day 13, U.S. received a telex from the Kremlin that they were pulling out of Cuba. The president finally slept that night. But the next morning, however, they received another telex that claimed the exact opposite, that the missiles were just hours from being operational. At this moment, the messaging was confusing and the consensus was confusing. Bobbert, uh, no, sorry, Robert or Bobby Kennedy advised to respond as if they didn't receive the bad message. Let's just act like our telex didn't work this morning and we have proof that they sent us last night that everything will be okay. Well, the chief of staff and other people around were claiming that this was a third grader tactic, that this would not actually work and we need to take their most recent threat serious. Nonetheless, because Robert is JFK's brother, he listened to his brother. Um, what is that saying my mom always says? Um, blood is thicker than water. Okay, and so JFK decided to take Bobby Kennedy's advice. And so what they did is they sent a telex back thanking Russia for backing out. And it turns out Russia did back out. See, what happened here in this moment, they decided instead of trying to figure out what the consensus is, they're going to lead by their conviction. And what they wanted to hear at this moment was that there was going to be a moment of peace. So they acted as if that were so. What we have to realize in our society, consensus will always lead when our conviction recedes. One thing will lead us, conviction or consensus. So I'll ask one more time. When our community faces affliction, do we, the church, lead by consensus or do we lead by conviction. I believe that's the context we actually see here with Paul. He is saying, although the world is being tossed to and fro, always trying to find what is the consensus of the day? What is everybody saying? And then we'll react according to what everyone is telling us is to react to. He's saying we have a truth that is much more assured than that. He says we serve a God who already came to earth, conquered sin, Satan, and death, and we are living in victory, and that victory is inside you and me. Amen? So we must act and live and walk as if that is a reality. Not just that we have saving grace for the last day of our life, but we also have serving grace that God has given us a unique spirit-filled opportunity to do what no one else can do. I love this content. Isn't God cool that of all times, I made this before I would, like before the news went crazy. This is such a good time for the church. And I, I really have found a lot of encouragement and hope from it. Let's continue. Again, it says um, in verse 11, he himself gave some to be apostles. Um, let me just note that real quick. Um, we don't believe, like, do not call me apostle, Trey. Um, Maybe you can. No, I'm just kidding. Do not call me that. I'm not an apostle. However, um, because I planted a church, I've actually shown I have some apostolic gifting. So we believe capital A apostles, uh, they died with Paul. It was those who actually walked and lived among with Jesus. But you also have lowercase a apostles, which those are the entrepreneurs of the church. They are the starters, uh, the church planters, that sort of thing. And so I fit in that category. That feels pretty cool. Prophet, uh, we kind of know what that is. Where am I? Verse 11. Uh, and then you have uh, some to be evangelists, uh, who my grandfather was. I mean, they just speak and people get saved. Uh, some to be pastors and teachers. Many believe actually pastor and teacher is one thing, just teaching the truth. But verse 12 really applies to all of us. What's the, the leadership of the church's job? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, that being Jesus, Growing into, underline this word, maturity 
with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. I love verse 14. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in, in the techniques of deceit. So here, verse, verse 12, it says, to equip, the, uh, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I wrote this down in my journal. What this means for us specifically in this time and moment is that may we be people who wash our hands and then wash other people's feet. What we're called to do in this moment is to serve. It really is interesting how the Bible is a lot more harder to apply when we think we're in control. Did you know that, that we're never actually in control? But this whole plague thing actually removes the illusion that we were ever in control. God was just as in charge of your life and death today as he was two weeks ago. We're forgetting that. Now, again, let me, I just feel like this is a good moment. Uh, we are, we need to be wise. We need, we're not making fun of those who aren't here at all. We are respectful. In fact, I know some members of our church said they want to come, but they feel a little bit of a cold. I said, get out of here, okay? And they said, we will. And so we're grateful for that. And I don't want us to be that kind of church. We're actually going to address that. But the needs, my friends, are too great for just me and Caleb to try to fix what's going on in our city. And it was never meant that way in the first place. I love this moment. How can we, as a people... Stand up and serve those who are vulnerable and in need. I even think with our church of 100 can really make a difference. So that's what we're called to do when we gather every week. We're called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry that happens throughout the week. And also in the passage, it says growing into a maturity measured by Christ's fullness. This word maturity, we talk about it a lot here at our church. It's this word teleos, which means completeness. It means a fullness so in other words, like we have all of Jesus in us, like we are fully mature, we, have fully, we are fully developed, think of like a baby, which trips me out to think that those are like little humans, right? You know what I'm saying? So, nobody, okay, uh, humor type guys, humor. But then you're growing into the fullness of what God has for you, and so we're actually called every time we meet is to become more and more mature. Well, what does maturity look like? As I was studying this passage, trying to run through, there's so much to share. And I thought, well, maturity is such an important word for us to talk about. Here at our church, we often reference that there's four stages to the Christian life. We talk about that a lot. But here's another uh, point of view that I want to share. It, it goes along with what we say. Uh, but here's six stages. It'll be on the screen. We believe there's six stages to maturity. And us as a church, we are called to help you through each stage. Number one, this is the stage of God, I believe in you. This is a great step towards maturity. There might be some people here who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus. We ask you that today would be the day. And we're not asking you to rush from this step. This might take some time to really sink in. What, what does this mean, believing in God? I've never done this before. My whole life I've believed in myself. But I'm realizing today more than ever, I'm actually not in control. So we're obsessed with helping people get to this first stage of maturity. God, I believe in you. But we hope you don't stay there. The second stage is, God, I belong to you. What's really fun in this time, you actually start to realize that the church is your family. You start to realize, I can't wait to gather with our people. Your prayer life changes because you really are starting to accept the fact that you are his child. This is still within like the honeymoon stage of the Christian faith. The next stage is, God, I'm working for you. This is when a lot of us finally step up and say, oh, you know what, I'm going to start serving the church. I'm going to serve here. I'm going to give there. This is when we you know, really start to elevate our activities. Now, the thing me and Pastor Caleb lament is most, most churches in today's American context, we stop there. 
Once we get you to work for us, whew, we're done. That is not the case. So we keep thinking, we keep asking, what are, what are some new systems we can put in place? How can we make sure? Because according to this diagram, there's actually three more stages to go. The next stage is stage four. God, where are you? I'm alone in the dark. I read a great book this week. I'm so mad. Jordan and Shelby, they have a podcast through Passion Creek. It's called Cultivate Women's Podcast. You should go check it out. Apparently they're famous because now they have like a deal with Moody Publishing and they're sending her free books. You know how much I want that in my life. Sending her free books. Well, anyway, she said, can you read this real quick? And I said, I would delight to. A free book? Amen. It's called Becoming Sage or something like that. But, but essentially, it was a great book because it actually talked about midlife and how so many people experience stage four in the church when you're in your midlife. And it was actually gave me a lot of pause on how I'm leading those who are in their midlife crisis because actually at this moment, sometimes there is wisdom for you to take a step back in some areas that you're serving in the church because you need to have rest. You need to wrestle with God. He hasn't left you, but he is harder to find because there are some things you're not willing to give up. Stage five, you, you experience a breakthrough and it says, God, I'm ready to pass along whatever you've given me. This is an amazing stage. So this says, okay, I've learned so much. God has done a deep work in my soul in stage four. I need to take this and teach other people the love that God has for us. Incredible stage. And to be honest, I don't know how many of us are even there yet. But this is the goal. And stage six is so good. God, I'm coming home. When I talk to my grandma, she says, I'm ready. I'm not. I still got some stuff I want to do here. But I look forward to the day that I can truly say, I'm ready to go home. Not in a suicidal way, hear us. But what in a way that knows that God's in control and we are not freaking out. God, I'm coming home. In many ways, get this, it's the government's job to protect your life, but it's the church's job to prepare you for death. I don't want to send this promise to you in the midst of this virus. Don't worry, it's not going to kill you. You're going to die of something. I don't know if you knew that. You will die. So some of us were trying to be so Christian and say, don't worry, you're not going to die. And I'm like, well, maybe not from this, but you will die. And so we have to get honest with that. And so that actually is help, what helps a lot of people start stage one. Oh, I don't have an answer for this. God, I need to believe in you. But there's also those of us who have been believing in God and we're not ready for death. I am trying, me and Caleb are trying, our whole team is trying as much. What can we do our personally, but also as a congregation to be ready for death? I have so much more to go through. Okay, here's the next point. I hope you wrote those down. Because of all of this, listen, we will not get to stage six or even stage four if we lead by consensus. Is everybody okay here? Are, are, can we all agree that we should go to this next stage? Oh, somebody doesn't, oh, they, you don't want to? Okay, let's not do that. No, we need to lead by the conviction that Christ has called us to do some hard things to get deeper and deeper. Here's the next point. Consensus organizes around the least mature member of the community. Here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is our church organized around building every single person up in their specific stage and age in life, or are we simply concerned with just bringing people in? We must do both, but we desperately want to be a church that cares for you wherever stage that you're in. And consensus says, look, we don't care about you. We're just here for those who are panicking. There's those of us in here or not. Let, let's be a church that actually loves all people. Here's what I mean. Mark Sayers, he's one of my favorite authors of our day. He has this quote. It should be on the screen. It says, consensus can be a good thing. 
Yet in a time of high emotional regression and immaturity and the resulting fear of offense, consensus ties an organization, family, or church to the will and emotional level of its most immature, dysfunctional, and resistant members who through consensus are given a lever with which to hold the human system hostage. Wish I could like take my mic and drop it right now. I don't know if that's a good word for you. That's a good word for me. We care for the least mature, absolutely. But some of us are getting so caught up. What does the least mature think? We're not caring for the rest of the people in the room. So what does this mean? I, I joked with my wife this week. I said, I am pretty convinced. Our church is the most prepared for what's going on right now. She said, how come? I said, last year, those who have followed along, I understand most of y'all did, but whatever. We fasted 62 days last year. We know what to do without food. Last year, we prayed for 62 days, like, an, a, like a very important. See, all that stuff doesn't make sense when life is going well. But when you're like, when's the next fast coming? Amen, right? Like, we need to pray. We've been doing that, brother. We are ready for this moment. We know how to only eat dinner, okay? We can ration some things. No, but honestly, why have we been doing that? I've been getting some feet like, oh, doing another fast? Come on, bro. You know, like, you hate food? Look, I get it. And I know some of us who are newer in the faith, we ask, okay, maybe alter the plan, whatever. But I keep thinking of the person who's in stage four or five or six. And if we don't do a good job of caring for even those who are most mature and allowing them to grow, we will continue to lose them. And in these moments, it's the mature members of our community that will offer us stability. And we aren't always doing a great job keeping them and growing them. Does that make sense? Yeah, Trey. Thanks, Trey. You're welcome, Trey. All right. Now, we cannot grow into maturity if we just lead by consensus. Okay, so verse 14, again, man, I have so much to go through. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. This is referencing panic. This is what's going on. Okay, here's the next point. Again, I used this doctor metaphor before. I know, again, last week we had the coronavirus, whatever. Okay, next point, put it on the screen. False teachers disguised as the doctor, but dispense the disease. That's what that verse is saying. Toss to, going to and fro, right? And it says, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Friends, in this time, we need to be very careful who we listen to. I would even say, not just false teachers, secularism in general, the mantra of the answer to life that our society believes in, claims to be the doctor, but all it's doing is actually killing us. We must be careful who we listen to. False teachers love to act like they're here to give you hope. And I might step on some toes, but I've actually been worried about some of the pastors some of our, uh, us listen to. Uh, like, let's quit listening to me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, some other pastors, I see you reposting some people, and it's not enough. For, I'm not calling you out or anything. But I get a little nervous because you got to be careful. Some pastors, all they do, how do I word this? I'm trying to be really gentle here. They, they love to give a message of hope, but it seems to be just enough to where you have to come next week because you're going to run out of it. I'm not here to build you up, but I'm here to like give you an injection shot of hope. But it's going to run out by Saturday. You better come again on next Sunday. Do we believe in weekly coming? Absolutely, right? But there's a balance here. What are, here here's another way. Here's a sign of immaturity. It's not in your notes, but listen. 
A sign of immaturity is that you are here to get attention from God. Some pastors preach that way. We're here to get his attention. He's already paying attention. He is already loving. A better sign of maturity is you are here to give attention to God. You see the difference there? Is your God always here? Are you always here to get attention from Him, which might manifest as you trying to work harder and do more for the Lord? And God, do you, are you pleased with me yet? Or are we gathering together to say, okay, God, you are clearly in control. There's clearly something you're trying to show us. Let us pay attention to what you are doing. And wherever you're moving, we want to follow in step. Man, that's a good word. That gives me goosebumps. Think about this. Why in the world are all these sports being shut down? Why are... I think God is exposing a lot of our idols. I think he's showing, guess what? The world will still spin without March Madness, which I'm pretty upset about. Um, but what is this doing? I'm so excited because for, for years we've been saying, Sabbath rest, turn off the TV, and rest in the presence of God. People kind of have to do that now. Pray, because we need his favor. We are dependent on our every breath. People are afraid to breathe right now, right? We are dependent on Him. All these things make a whole lot more sense. And, and I'm not here saying God's doing this to punish us, whatever, but I know He's going to use this. And I know He's in control in some sort of fashion. And I know He is in power. And so I want our teaching and the way that we read the Word, not, okay, God, I'm here to get attention from you. Read 1 Kings 18. That is actually uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel, those who were following the other gods, they were cutting themselves, doing everything to get their God's attention to light up the fire. And all Elijah said is, we see you, God. Do what only you can do. There is a difference there. And we need to be careful who we're listening to. Now, consensus organizes around the least mature member of the community. It makes us never actually grow because when you lead by consensus, you don't make those hard decisions that truth makes us have to deal with. At the same time, I want to counteract that with consensus antagonizes and hounds the least mature member of the community. It depends on which community you're in. So some, they do everything for the, for the weakest person in the room. Which again, do we love the weakest person? Absolutely. And that's why I say with this, it's also a wrong way to lead by saying we don't we are not here for baby Christians. We're not here for those who are scared of this. Are you kidding me? Here, I'll lick your face. I'm, I'm not scared, you know, whatever. Praise God nobody said that in their congregation. We've got to be careful here, though. That's why I love verse 15. It says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. It's very tempting to either read just truth or just love. What I actually love in the Greek here, when it says speaking the truth, there's literally, there's not an English word for it. It, it literally means truthing in love. Isn't that good? Let us truth, we need to be truthing today. What does that even mean? Exactly. That's why they had to put speaking. But it means we're going to be speaking the truth. We're going to be living the truth. We're going to be believing the truth. We're going to be practicing the truth. It's all of these things with truth. And all of these things while we're doing the truth is also done in love. What is love? Love is patient. It is kind, right? It holds no record of wrongs. All of those things we've been talking about the last few weeks. So, in other words, some churches pride themselves in these moments on not being shallow. We pride ourselves, those, some of those churches down the road, they're closing. We're not closing. We're the best. You know what I'm saying? We might close next week. I don't know. I'm planning not. But I think it's really wise for us to not go on either side of here and just realize what has God called us to do in this moment? How can we love and serve the weaker brother? But not in a way that only organizes around the weaker brother. 
I hope I'm making sense. I don't have too much more time to explain. Here's the next point with that. Because um, verse uh, uh, 14 again, it talks about how there's human cunning with cleverness, with the techniques of deceit. We're being tossed to and fro. So some teachers, false teachers, are disguised as the doctor, but they just simply dispense the disease. But we need to be careful in our moment not to be this. Some false teachers disguise as the doctor, but only give the diagnosis. In this moment, it's really easy for us to say, oh, do you have an answer? You guys are just sinners. This is what you deserve, whatever. We don't find joy in being a people that just talk about the problem. We talk about the solution, amen? We don't want to be a people that just look at those people over there. We are people who love, who wash our hands and wash their feet, and we serve, we call out sin, but at the same time, we walk alongside of them and carry them through their struggle, and we're patient with them as they continue to start to realize that Jesus is the only one who saves. There are two types of leaders in the situation that I think Paul is combating and we need to combat in this moment. One is enmeshed. Enmeshed meaning we jump into the quicksand of panic. Or the quicksand of panic. Everybody's freaking out. It's not your time as a leader to freak out with everybody. Oh yeah, we're all scared. I'm such a good leader. I'm doing what everybody else is saying. That's not how we should lead in this moment. But also, some of us, we're not enmeshed, but we're detached. We're, we see the people in the quicksand and we just walk away and laugh. What we're called to do is be near enough to where we can save them, but not jump into it with them. Let us not be false teachers. Let us speak the truth. Let us be truthing in love. Okay, here's the last point. Conviction organizes around the most mature member of the group, Jesus Christ. This is who we're organized around. Verse 15 makes that point. It says, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. We're all in this together, all at different stages of our maturity, but as we continue to see Christ as our goal, we are all growing little by little, and in so doing, we're helping each other grow. We are organized around Christ and Christ alone. And I don't think we would ever see Jesus love without speaking truth. I don't think we would ever see Jesus speak truth without love. And it's in this moment we can do exactly that. I have three practices for us to do this week I think will help you. Number one, in the season of confusion, in the season where everybody's trying to figure out the consensus, number one, spend time communing with God through Bible reading and prayer. Get a schedule together. This is the best week to start, okay? Commune with God through Bible and prayer. If you need to know how to do that, Please contact us this week. Hit us up on Instagram or Facebook and we'll help you. Number two, spend time listening to and loving the vulnerable among us. Listen to them. Don't discount their worries. Don't ignore their thoughts. Listen to them. Realize, honestly, in this moment, friends, are, the elderly in our community are the most vulnerable in multiple ways. They're most vulnerable to this plague, to, to, to this disease. But also, they're most vulnerable because of the stock market and their retirement. There is a lot of scary things happening for the elderly in our community. And I think us, those who are younger in the room, have an incredible opportunity to love them, to, to hear them, but also to serve them. We're actually, I'm going to mention at the end of the service, we're trying to come up with a way for those in here who are healthy and have the ability to go grocery shop for the elderly in our church and those around us and our neighbors we have unique opportunities to love the vulnerable among us. We also want to help those who are 
working at Fry's and Walmart and Target. They said it's like Black Friday every day of the week. This is our opportunity to love and to serve. The third practice I want us to do, I believe Jesus would do in this time, is to silence your social media intake. Have just enough to where you know what's going on. Maybe set like a like a alarm, okay, I need to check it out. I would not suggest in the morning because it'll ruin your day. Maybe in the afternoon, then at night, just like literally like, okay, 15 minutes, I'm gonna get caught up. It's so important for us to be wise and know what's going on. This situation's ever changing. Also, follow us on social media so you know if we're meeting here next week or not, right? So be on it enough. But friends, it does not help. We are being tossed by the wind and the waves to and fro every time we turn on each channel, freaking out. Why is the world freaking out? Sadly, most of this world truly believes this is the only life we have. And if that's what they really believe, I am so sympathetic. This would be terrifying. But we have a hope that is beyond this life. We are not suicidal. We enjoy life. In fact, Christians should be the ones who enjoy life the most. But we also cannot wait to meet our Savior face to face. There is a balance. For years, we've been telling people, my hope is not in this life. Now we can actually show it. Let us do what only the church can do. But I want to end with this. Friends, death will come knocking. My prayer is that it's not today or this week or whatever. My question to you is, do you know him? I've been preaching a lot today about serving grace. And that's reserved for those who have put their faith in Christ. But some of us here, we've been around the things of God. We've been talking about, we've been using Christianese already. But we actually haven't surrendered to God. I said, God, I, I need your saving grace. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. I bring no other argument. I bring no other plea but that Jesus died and he died for me. I urge you for today to be the day you finally make that decision. And receive his saving grace. That nothing, no, no, no disease, not death itself can remove you from the love of God. Will you receive him, surrender to his love? There's so much I want to say, but we're kind of out of time. I just want us to be encouraged. God is in control. And we are a church who is realizing this is a unique opportunity to serve, not by your power, not by your might, but by his and his alone.